Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. This week on Southcrest Live, featuring Dr. David Wilson, we conclude our study called Fail, a series on the epic failures of the Bible. We close out the series today by turning our focus to Jonah, the prophet who tried to run from God. God had a specific directive for Jonah, go to the Assyrian people in Nineveh and proclaim repentance. But Jonah went the opposite direction and subsequently got a startling wake-up call. Open your Bible to Jonah 1 and listen to this week's message, You Can Run, But You Can't Hide, from Pastor David Wilson. If you have your Bibles, open them to Jonah. And if you can't find Jonah, go to Obadiah and turn right. (laughs) Obadiah has 21 verses, that's it. It's one page in most Bibles. I remember Grady Nutt talking about when they were teenagers up in the hills of somewhere And he and his cousin would slip into their uncle's church, who was a pastor, and they would tear out all the Obadiah pages because that was his favorite place to go in the sword drill when they, and he tear, they tore them out of the sword drill Bibles when they were having the contest. But so if you can't find Jonah, go to Obadiah, it's right after Amos. Just keep flipping, you'll find it in there going to read two chapters, but they're not real long chapters. But would you stand while I read God's word? Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. I'm taking the first ship away from God. But the Lord sent, actually the Hebrew says, the Lord hurled a storm, a great wind out on the sea, but there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, please tell us for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. 
Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, we pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. And do not charge us with this innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. And you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The water surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you help us today. Those who are going to Tarsus, you turn them around, bring them home. We pray that you'll speak to us and let us learn from Jonah's mistakes. Keep us from making the same ones. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. A man was having trouble getting along with his wife, so they went to a marriage counselor. A marriage counselor looked at the man and he said, I suggest that you run five miles a day and you call me in a week. A week later, he called the doctor. The doctor said, well, how is your wife doing? He said, how should I know? I'm 35 miles away from her. <laughs> now, for those of you who don't do math, seven times five is 35. We're going to talk about walking and running today. In a lot of ways, we walk in the Christian life as we are walking in the Lord's ways and we're growing in him. And when the running comes, should be when God tells us to do something, we run to do it. We run to be obedient to him. In Jonah's case, his running went a different direction. Now, last week, we talked about Jeroboam. In this little series here, we've looked at Achan, we've looked at Ahab, we've looked at Samson, we've looked at Jeroboam, the king who was the convenient religion guy. And Jonah lived during the time of Jeroboam. In fact, he was a prophet during the time of Jeroboam. And so we're going to see that not only the kings not do all what, everything that was right, neither did the prophets do everything that was right, especially Jonah. 
And God told Jonah, I want you to go to the Assyrians. Now, this was the century in which the Assyrian kingdom uh, took over Israel eventually in captivity. And the capital of the Assyrian kingdom was located on the Tigris River just north of what is now Baghdad, was called Nineveh. It was the capital of the Assyrians. Now, in this account, I want us to learn some things. Maybe we can keep from making the same mistakes that Jonah made. And the first thing I want you to see is God's directive. Has God got a plan for you? That's not a question. That's a statement. God has a plan for every one of you. Do you know that? If he saves you and you've committed your life to him, God has planned for you. They're not all the same plans. There are things spelled out in the word of God that are definitely his will. All the moral laws of God, they're still in effect. He hasn't changed his mind on them. Some of the ceremonial laws that were given to Israel, some of those have been changed in the new covenant through Jesus. But all the moral laws, all of the laws, it's when God says this is sin, it's still sin. And so that's a directive for us. Sometimes God lays on our hearts something that we need to do. And God has a plan for us. During this time, Nineveh's sin, verse 2, says that the wickedness had come up before God. Basically, the, the Living Bible, put it this way, the Living Bible is a paraphrase, but it says, for your wickedness smells to the highest heaven. We don't like to think about our sin smelling bad, do we? But let's just put it in blunt terms. Your sin stinks. It does. It stinks to God. We kind of laugh about it and we sort of candy coat it. But sin is a stench in the, in the nostrils of God. And thank God he can distinguish between the sin and the sinner. And by his grace, he has forgiven us of our sin. But even today when we sin, it's still not a pleasing aroma to him. Obviously, we don't lose our salvation and God hangs on to us, but we need to understand that sin is a serious matter. Anyway, the Assyrians, their sin had reached God or it was a smelling bad to God. What was it about Nineveh that angered God so much? Well, the Assyrians were Israel's enemy and they were a brutal people, brutal people. They never kept any prisoners. They killed them all. And they gloated in the way that they did it. Not to be too graphic, sometimes they filleted or skinned people alive, put their skins on the walls. Every city that the Assyrians captured, they made a pyramid of human skulls. These were barbaric people, brutal people. They enjoyed the atrocities that they inflicted upon people. We might say the Assyrians were the Nazis of those days. Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse said calling Jonah to go to Nineveh was like asking a Jew in 1942 to go from New York to Hitler and tell him that God loved him and that everything he did would be forgiven if he would repent. So the Jew got on a train all right and went to San Francisco then got on a ship to Japan. God wanted Jonah to go preach to the Assyrians. Sometimes God asks you to do something you don't want to do. <laughs> yeah. 
Sometimes God asks you to do something that's hard. What do you mean I've got to do this? That's hard. What do you mean the Bible says to do this? I don't want to do that. I don't want to forgive somebody. I don't want to go tell somebody about Christ. You know, God sometimes asks us to do some easy things. Coming to church is one of the easiest things you can do that God says to do. It's easy. We didn't even charge you to get in here, did we? Somebody might have been in your seat. That might have been hard. And you might have had to park aways and ride the carts in. That might have been hard. But basically, God says, assemble together. You know, we could live in a country where this wasn't legal. Then it would be hard. Sometimes God says, you know what? I'm not calling you to preach. I'm not calling you to missions. But I am asking you to go to your neighbor and tell them about me. Or I'm asking you to live for Christ. I'm asking you to live for me and your place of business or to honor me. I'm asking you to honor me with what I've given you. That's not hard. I'm asking you to give to my, my uh, work through what I've given you as a steward. That's not hard. God's got a plan for you. Every one of you. Don't think for a moment. Well, you know, I know God's got a plan for you, preacher, because he called you to be a pastor or to be a preacher. But God doesn't have a plan for me. Yes, he does. He saved you to do something. It may not be preach. It may not be any kind of Christian vocation as we call it. But he saved you not to sit, but to serve him wherever you are every day. Now, we see Jonah's response. And we're going to learn some things. First, notice Jonah's defiance. His attitude was ditch God and disappear. It's amazing how many people think they can do that. God, God made it real clear. Jonah, go to Nineveh. And what did Jonah do? He went to Joppa, got on a ship to Tarshish. Now, to illustrate this, I want you to look at this map I've got for you here. You see Joppa down here in the right, lower right-hand side. Nineveh's 550 miles to the northeast of Joppa or Jerusalem. And so Jonah gets on a ship going 2,500 miles the other direction. And I think the only reason he went to Tarshish because that was the farthest spot he knew about. But you know what? All of you, me included, have a Nineveh that God says, I want you to go to. But a lot of us get on the ship to Tarshish, don't we? No, I, I'm going to go the other direction. Now, it's interesting that Jonah thought he could run from God. Here are two truths I want you to learn. Running from God's commandment equals running from God. Being disobedient to God equals running from God. In those days, the pagan nations, the Syrians, some of the other ones, thought that their gods little g gods were basically stationed or limited to a certain geographical area. You can look in first Kings chapter 20, for example, and the Syrians thought that Israel's God was the God of the mountains for several reasons. First of all, it seemed like every time that the Israelites were fighting a fight in the mountains, they won. But when they got down in the valleys of the plains, they lost 
So they said, well, their God must be living in the God of the, he's the God of the mountains. The term El Shaddai, God Almighty, literally means God on high. God met Abraham or Abraham was going to offer Isaac on Mount Moriah. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments on the mountain. The the things of God were read from the mountain. Jerusalem was built in the mountains, the city of God. And so Jonah may have thought, all I got to do is get out of the mountains. God can't find me. Now you think, well, he must have been really dumb. So Jonah was leaving by Israel, by, leaving Israel by way of the sea. It seemed to have been a double attempt to leave the country and to go by sea. Isn't it amazing that Satan's always got a rescue vehicle or a detour vehicle available? He's always got a ship bound for Tarshish. You think that's crazy, but I'm here to tell you, not you folks, you folks are safe. But there are people who think, if I don't go to church, God won't see me. He won't find me. If I just stay away from Christians, God won't find me. Trying to run from God is like trying to get out of air. You can't do it. They think, many Christians don't think anything about throwing down their responsibilities and running off. Well, I know what God told me to do. I know God called me to do this. I know God's leading me to do this. I know God told me not to do this or to do this, and yet I'm not going to do it. I'm going to disobey God. And then you ask them, well, are you close to the Lord? Oh, yes, I'm there. I'm close to God. I have this warm, fuzzy feeling when we sing these songs. I'm close to God. But God says, how can you call me Lord and not do the things I command you to do? Fellowship with God has a direct bearing into our obedience to God. I didn't say your salvation. Your salvation came from God by grace alone. But the fact is, if you're going to have fellowship with the Lord, you've got to be obedient to him. We hate that word obedience. It sounds so limiting. Those those commandments, those do's and don'ts, God puts in our life for a reason to help us, to protect us. But when we don't do what God asks us to do, we're running from God. Well, I, I never thought of it that way. Yeah, you, God says do this. And we've mentioned a lot of that. I use, you know, for example, I keep mentioning who you Connect with who you marry, who you date. It needs to be another believer. I keep using that as an example because it's the easiest one for me to remember, for one thing. Well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to date somebody who's not even a Christian. I'm going to marry somebody who's not even a Christian. You're running from God. Well, we have a tendency to conclude that we're close to God if we have these certain fuzzy feelings, warm, fuzzy feelings, but God defines it by, you're going to walk with me, follow my ways. And you know what's amazing? The Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin. 
the, the preacher doesn't have to be there. You don't have to be in church to be convicted of your sin. The Holy Spirit, he lets you know, doesn't he? The second thing is running from God's call impacts other people. I've already mentioned this when we, when we talked about Achan. We, we, we know that sin is never isolated to just you. Because Jonah was unfaithful and rebellious against God, he ended up putting other people in jeopardy. Because of him, the winds came, the storm was hurled at them. Because of Jonah. If Jonah hadn't been on that ship, there wouldn't have been any wind. Now, this opens up a real interesting scenario because of Jonah, these guys were, were put in positions of compromise. They were going to have to do something that they normally wouldn't have had to do. They were trying to live, they were trying to uh, stay alive for one thing, but then they were going to have to throw Jonah over. And they didn't want to do that overboard. They didn't want to do that. It's amazing how we think our sin is so isolated, it doesn't affect anybody else. And I want to, I want to remind you something. I don't care who you are. You are a person of influence. I'm going to say that again. I don't care who you are. You are a person of influence. You have influence over other people. You never sin in isolation. Right? It means something when you come and when you don't come. Jonah shared all his spiritual woes with these guys. They were pagans in verse 10. He told them that the problem was him. They, they cast lots to find out what was going on, to find out what this problem was. And it's interesting that all of them had turned to their own gods, all little G gods. And they were trying to figure out praying in desperation, but their gods weren't answering. And then when the lot fell on Jonah, they said, well, who are you? And he said, I'm a Hebrew and I follow the God who created all the sea, who created the wind, who created the earth. And then they became afraid and they said, well, what, what have you done? It's interesting how it affects other people. And these worldly men were quick to abandon their gods to find and to start serving Jonah's God. We find out that they, after they threw Jonah overboard, they, they sacrificed to Jehovah we don't know if they stayed with it. We don't know when the seas were calm again, if they kept on following Jesus, following God. We don't know. But what I want you to see is that when you run from God's call, it impacts other people. Men, it can impact your family. Ladies, it can impact your children. Children, when you run from God, it impacts your parents. It impacts everybody. Your friends, you need to understand you are accountable to other people. And so when you run from the Lord, you can endanger or you can bring other people into a situation that they never were intended to be there in the first place. And, you know, I know all of us would like to go back and undo a bunch of things that have affected other people. And let's just get it out here. We can't. But we can start right now. We can start today by saying, Lord, help me be more mindful of the way I'm living and help me not to lead anybody else astray. Well, we see Jonah's defiance, but now we see God's deliberateness. 
Running from God does not equal escaping. You can run, you can run, you can't hide, and God's going to find you. You're not going to escape. You know, John, Jonah's in a flight from, from God, but God's pursuing him. If you are a child of God, you have committed your life to him, you're following Christ, you're in his family. You've been born again into the family of God. You've been saved. You're God's child. He loves you. But I want to tell you something. He's not going to let you run off too far without him coming after you. And when I say coming after you, I'm not saying he's coming in a mean way. He's coming to rescue you. You parents had wayward children you ever gone after them did you go after them to be mean to them no you went after them to save them or try to salvage them or try to bring them back now they may not have come back but you at least pursued them didn't you that's what God did I want you to notice several things that happened when God did first of all the first thing that came was chastisement the storm God hurled a storm. He pursued Jonah. Now, I I want you to stay with me here because I'm going to open up a can of worms. It's got a lot of worms in it. Storms come our way. We We don't always know why, okay? We don't always know why, but sometimes we do. For example, if you are living in disobedience to the Lord and you're defying him and you get out here and a storm comes and trials and troubles and lack of peace and you know, you know, you know what it's like to be out of fellowship with God. If you've been out there, you know what I'm talking about and you know the reason you're in that storm is because you're out of fellowship with God. So how do you fix that? You come to 1 John 1, 9, and you confess your sin and ask God to forgive you, and he restores that fellowship with you. That storm can be fixed. You can have peace again. I didn't say all the consequences would go away, but at least you can have peace with God. Are you with me so far? Okay, sometimes a storm comes from someone else's disobedience. In this, fact, in this case, these sailors were in the storm because of Jonah's disobedience. You can go to Acts chapter 27 and 28 and you'll find Paul was getting on a ship or they put him on a ship. He wasn't trying to get on it. And when he was on that ship, he told the captain, you do not need to sail because this ship's about to go into a storm and it's going to sink. And the captain said, you're out of your mind. And he sailed anyway. And sure enough, the storm came and God told Paul what to tell everybody to save their lives. But they all went through all kinds of misery. Paul got snake bit and all kinds of stuff happened. Nobody died, but the ship went down because of that that captain's disobedience. They were all in the storm because of someone else. We don't always know when that happens. I know that sometimes... We're thrust into a storm because of somebody else's sin. Some of you have lost loved ones because of drunk drivers. Okay, that was their sin, but it affected you, didn't it? 
Sometimes we don't know why they come. But sometimes they come and because we live in a world that's cursed with sin. And you know what? We live among sinners. We live among sinful people and people sin. And sometimes that sin affects us and there's no answer for it. But, but sometimes, sometimes a dad completely rebels against God and his family suffers because of their sin, his sin, and so forth. Sometimes a storm comes and we're doing everything right. Nobody else has sinned. It's just a test of our faith. I hate those kind, don't you? I'd rather blame it on somebody. The disciples in, in uh, Matthew's gospel, I think it's Matthew 23. No, excuse me, 923. Matthew 923. The disciples were in a boat with Jesus and the storm came and Basically, Jesus taught him a lesson on faith. He said, you know, you don't have enough faith. You're going to have to have enough. When a storm hits you, I cannot always tell you the reason. And people want answers. I have to focus on what I do know, and that is God doesn't leave you in a storm and those kind of things. But I will tell you this, in this particular case, in this case with Jonah, the storm was chastisement from God trying to get his attention. Now, the storm was chastisement, then what was the fish? Grace. You probably never thought of it this way. But if it hadn't been for the fish, Jonah would have died. Now, we assume it was a whale, don't we? You've always been told Jonah and the whale. Why do we assume it was a whale? Because a whale's big enough to swallow a person. I, I read something I've got to read you. One lady said, we had recently moved from Tennessee to Mississippi. Now, if you're from Mississippi, I, I mean, no disrespect. But if you lived in South Arkansas, where I have, in Mississippi, there's a different kind of accent. We moved from Tennessee to Mississippi. Our four-year-old son, Jeep. <laughs> I'm just reading it, okay? You can't make this stuff up. Our four-year-old son, Jeep, came home from church one Sunday, excited about the Sunday school lesson. My teacher taught us all about the whales. You mean Jonah and the whale? Mom said, no, no, Jacob and the whales. Mom said, no, I think it was Jonah. He was swallowed by a whale in the ocean, but Jeep knew his lesson. He said, no, it was Jacob. He moved out into the desert, and when he got thirsty, he dug some whales. <laughs> Why would we assume it's a whale? Several reasons. We have no proof it is, but we can assume that it was. First of all, whales have been known to follow ships after garbage is thrown overboard. And they just threw everything overboard trying to lighten the load before they started throwing people over. They could have attracted a whale by throwing the cargo overboard. But can a whale swallow a man whole? For many, many years, people said no. They thought this was a fable. They thought this was a made-up story. And here's why. There are two kinds of 
whales, I guess you would say, the odontocetes and the mystocetes. The odontocetes were represented by a blue whale. A blue whale can be 100 feet long and weigh 150 tons. But the fact is a blue whale cannot swallow a man because his mouth has layer upon layer upon layer of thin plates acting as a strainer. And so basically he just strains out all the big stuff and eats small stuff, krill and crustaceans and things like that. So they're not gonna, they're not gonna eat a person. The mystocetes are normally represented by the dolphins and the orcas, the killer whales, they have teeth. But there's also one other whale that's called a mystocete, but he's in a class by its own. own. He's the sperm whale, and that's the whale that you see pictured in Moby Dick. The, the, it's got a big head and a real small mouth at the bottom. You, you know, you've seen pictures of him, right? Well, that whale will eat just about anything. But the teeth are not used to chew. They're used to grab hold of something, and then it swallows it whole. Sea turtles, fish, penguins, squid, just about anything. I kind of name them the goat of the ocean because they'll eat anything. In 1891, February of 1891, this is documented. I'm reading it out of a book, Best, Worst, and Most Unusual, in in an article, Journey to the Center of the Digestive System, by Bruce Felton and Mark Fowler. But... 19, excuse me, 1891, February of 1891, James Bartley was a seaman on the English whaling ship called the Star of the East. They were chasing a sperm whale near the Falkland Islands when the whale dove, hit one of the whaling boats with its tail and upset it. One of the seamen drowned and Bartley disappeared. He was assumed drowned. The whale was killed and dragged to the ship where the process of stripping off the flesh began to get all the oil and the meat and everything else. The next morning, the next day, they were still at it. The lifting tack was attached to the whale's stomach. By then it was exposed. It was hoisted up onto the deck for cutting and a slight spasmodic movement within startled the sailors. Now they thought for a moment it was probably a large fish because it had been documented that sperm whales had swallowed 12 to 16 foot sharks whole. When they opened up the stomach, they found James Bartley doubled up, drenched and in a coma, but still alive. They doused him with seawater. He began to come around, but his mind was not clear. And he was taken to the captain's cabin and kept there until under lock and key for two weeks. They said he was a half-human, gibbering lunatic. By the end of the third week, he had recovered completely and went back to work. However, the acidic gastric juices of the whale had bleached his face, neck, and hands to a dead white. I'm not sure he just didn't turn white like that when that whale swallowed him. It can happen. It's been documented to happen. Now, folks, many times we see the fish as God's judgment or discipline of Jonah, but in reality, the storm was the judgment and the fish was the grace. 
to save his life because if God still had a plan for Jonah. So God pursued Jonah, gave him a second chance. Aren't you thankful that God gives a second chance? We can go to the apostle Peter where, where he denied Jesus three times and Jesus could easily have just washed his hands of him and said, you're a, a guy that shoots off his mouth all the time and you denied me three times, you didn't even stand by me. Instead, Jesus pursued him and restored him. You never underestimate the Lord in his business. You never underestimate the way God brings children back to him. Hopefully you and I don't have to go through a fish to come back. Holy Spirit sometimes draws people back. Sometimes the words of a friend or someone else to remind them that their friends are headed the wrong direction. And you know what? You can see people headed in the wrong direction, even though it may be a supposedly good thing. But when they start taking their eyes off of God and they start stalking, they start walking away from God, we need to try to warn them about where they're headed. Max, Max Licato said, as if there were a thousand steps between you and God, he will take 999 of them and leave the last one for you. God will pursue you. Some of you, God's pursuing now. He's been coming to you and coming to you and coming to you, wanting you to come to him. And he can send a great storm. But somewhere in that storm, there'll be a fish. There'll be his grace. Well, next, I want you to see Jonah's decision. God is the God of another chance. He's in the belly of that fish. One teacher asked her Sunday school class, how did Jonah feel when the great fish swallowed him? One little boy said, down in the mouth. <laughs> another little boy was, was asked, what do we learn from the story of Jonah and the whale? His answer was, people make whales sick. You read in chapter 2, you see the cry of Jonah out to God. And I want you to notice, I want you to notice one thing. Obviously, our imaginations can go a lot of different directions. But what I want you to notice is the loneliness. He's all alone. Let's go back to James Bartley, the guy who was swallowed by the whale. Listen to what he said. He said he could clearly remember the old ordeal, the sensation of being thrown into the water, followed quickly by a rushing sound and then a great darkness. He felt himself slipping along a smooth passage that seemed in motion itself, carrying him with it. Then a short time later, he realized he had more room. He felt around in the blackness for the walls of his prison and found them thickly slimy and soft. When he realized where he was, when he realized where he was, he was overcome with fear. There was a terrific oppressive heat inside the stomach. A whale's body temperature is 104 degrees. He said he had no difficulty finding air to breathe but fought a terrifying, absolute silence. Eventually, he passed out and woke up in the captain's cabin. When you get out here far enough, you find yourself 
not only alone, but God seems to be silent, doesn't he? I want to tell you, Tarshish was as far away as Jonah thought he could get. He didn't make it. He didn't even get close to that before God came looking for him. And in the midst of the storm, in the belly of that fish, you see Jonah praying, crying out to the Lord. And folks, that's the good news I want to tell you today. That no matter how far you are away from God, if you'll turn and cry out to him, he'll forgive you. The prodigal son finally came home and thought he would be treated just like a servant. His dad ran to meet him on the road. God will run to meet you if you'll just come to him. So which direction are you going? Are you still running from God? What? Why are you running from God? Why are you running out here thinking that God's going to... Do something, and maybe you've gone through a storm and you're still mad about that storm. You want to know why that storm happened to you? Well, sometimes we don't have that answer. We don't. God's ways, we don't understand. I wish I could tell you, but I have to focus on what I do know. I do know God still loves me. I do know that God won't forsake me. I do know that God is here with me. I do know that God has a plan for my life. February, excuse me, August the 12th, August the 12th, 1969, the San Francisco Chronicle had an article about three bodies they found in Death Valley in California. Two men and a youth, all males. They tried to reach a habitation by setting out a foot across the desert. The sheriff's deputies said they found the bodies 7, 14, and 17 miles from an abandoned car. They were kind of strung out like a black line, said the deputy, Red Landergren. The heat just turned them black. Tragically, they had headed away from their car back to a ranch house they saw 30 miles back. They were visiting some friends, Arnold Dobson, 65, of Irvine, Harold Mast Sr., and his son, Harold Jr., 16, both of Corona, had visited friends and then set out over an abandoned road to visit the El Capitan mine in Eureka Valley, east of Death Valley. Temperatures in the area are 120 degrees or more. They apparently got into the barren Saline Valley by mistake and became stranded at a point where a flash flood had washed out the abandoned road and their trailer turned over when they tried to make a U-turn. They didn't have any water with them, so they apparently started out on foot to go back that 30 miles to that ranch house or cabin or whatever it is they saw. But the sheriff's deputy said, if they had just gone the other way, Less than a mile was a grove of trees and a spring, a freshwater spring. One mile this direction, they all died going this direction. 
The same can be said about people's spiritual lives. They're so close to coming to Christ, but they're still heading in the wrong direction. And today, if you will head in the right direction, you know what the Bible calls that? Repentance. You're headed the wrong way and you turn and you come to God. And if you'll head toward him, God's going to run toward you. He'll forgive you of your sin. You can place your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ. He will come into your life. The Holy Spirit will indwell you. They will for, he will forgive you of your sin. He will indwell you and lead you and guide you and give you peace that surpasses all understanding. He'll keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. What's your decision today? Everybody in this room, everybody in the venue, everyone watching on television or online, you're, you're going to make a decision today. You can't help it. Some of you already made it. I've decided I'm getting out of here as fast as I can as soon as he shuts up. <laughs> Some of you have decided, you know, I want to know a little bit more about this Jesus. Some of you have decided, you know, I know I need to come to Christ. I'm headed down the wrong road. Some of you have decided, I know I'm going down the wrong road, and I know God's probably after me, but, and I know that it's, not, it's kind of miserable, here, but I don't care. I'm just going to keep on going down this road. But some of you, some of you are going to say, you know, I'm pretty sick of where I am. I don't have any joy in my heart anymore. I've lost the joy of my salvation. So Lord, if you'll put me back up on land, you'll spit me out of the belly of this fish, I'm coming to you. Would you bow your heads with me? A fitting end to our series. Thank you, Pastor David. We observed in Jonah's life his defiant decision to try to ditch God. What he discovered is that running from God not only adversely affected him, but it caused people around him to suffer. The results for Jonah were the chastisement of a tremendous storm, but the grace of three days and a great fish. Jonah decided to obey, so the God of a second chance used him in a tremendous way to extend that same grace to the Ninevites. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Coming soon, a new study in the book of 2 Peter on the Southcrest Live podcast. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.